uh, there's, two, there's two things I want us all to remember uh, this morning. And, and there's that, um, uh, it's used in staff meetings all the time and I get bored of it, but, uh, but there's that little um, uh, phrase that says, if you, if you tell me, I will forget, but if you involve me, I will learn. So, uh, two things I want you to remember this morning. Firstly, Jesus is God's son. Can you say that back to me so I can hear you? They get a better reaction for me, Matt, than do for you, don't they? Uh, and, and secondly, so we should listen to him. Fantastic. Jesus is God's son, therefore we should listen to him. Now, who, who enjoys art? We've got some artists in the house and we've got some children who love doing a bit of art as well. I'm going to be honest, I hate art. Uh, 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 as a primary school teacher, it's a little bit embarrassing. I really do not enjoy art. I'm very fortunate in the, uh, when my, uh, my one day off a week, I'm covered by an art specialist. The things she can get the children to do, it blows my mind. When I come into school, I'm like, why have you done 25 versions? No, the children did them. I'm not, sh I'm not, I'm not sure I believe her. But, but it's fantastic. Uh, and art is incredibly, uh, incredibly powerful. And some artists have done some amazing depictions of the transfiguration that we're going to have a look at now. Thanks, Tracy. Children pay particular attention uh, because in a minute you're going to do your own versions while I talk to the grown-ups. Uh, so, from the 1500s uh, by Raphael, this was his depiction of, um, of the Transfiguration. You can see Jesus up there with Moses and Elijah um, and the three disciples uh, underneath. Thanks, Tracy. Next one. Uh, again, 15th, 15th century. Very different style. Uh, Theophanes the Greek. Uh, and again, you can see Jesus with uh, Moses and Elijah and the three prophets uh, underneath. Thank you. Next one, Tracy. Uh, 1997, a much more recent uh, version, much more recent uh, depiction. Again, as John and Ro uh, Jonathan and Rob showed us earlier, you can see that brightness, that light radiating from Jesus. Next one, please. Uh, back in the uh, back in the 19th uh, 19th century. Again, James Tissot. You can see that the light radiating from Jesus there. A couple more. Again, 19th, uh, 19th century. Look at the disciples there as they're shielding their eyes from the brightness, the radiance of the glory of Jesus. Slightly more um, abstract, which is perhaps what we're about to see uh, from the children in a moment. Uh, uh, another depiction of the transfiguration, but again, that bright light is there. So children, well, I'm just talking to the grown-ups. If you want to go and create, oh, sorry, there's another one. Uh, stained glass window, <laughs> good luck doing that this morning. Uh, the stained glass window, again, from uh, a stained glass window panel in, uh, in, um, in Germany, 14th century. Isn't that wonderful? Um, so children, if you would like to, you don't have to, you can, uh, you can listen to me and that's absolutely fine. If you'd like to, there's all sorts of things that I've placed at the back uh, of the um, hall over there. Um, they will make noise, I make no apology for that. Um, uh, you can head to the back. Um, um, parents, they're still your responsibility. There's no adults back there, so, um, uh, so they're still your responsibility. So do with that information what you, uh, what you will. Uh, so if you want to, and then we can have a look at what you've done uh, at the end. Let me pray as we uh, read God's word together. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you uh, for what we can learn from the Bible. We thank you that it's inspired. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that it's the word of God. And we thank you that it points us towards your son, the Lord Jesus. Open our eyes to see some more of his beauty and his glory this morning. Amen. Lead a family service, they said. We'll just carry on through the uh, Gospel of Luke. 
Oh, great, it'll be a parable, it'll be a miracle. It's the transfiguration, explain that, to three-year-olds, to everybody else in one service on Sunday morning. Thanks. Do keep your Bibles open. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 9. Uh, thank you, Ron, for reading it to us this morning. Great to have that video as well, wasn't it? As we uh, um, hopefully helped to uh, understand a little bit of what this event uh, was like. And thank you, Ron, for giving us that, uh, that context. Do keep your Bible open, as I will be referring, it, uh, referring to it over the course of the next 10, maybe 15 uh, minutes. We've been working through the Gospel of Luke together, haven't we, over the past 18 months or so, thinking about three titles, uh, Jesus' identity, Jesus' ministry, and Jesus' mission. And that's what we're going to carry on with this morning. Verse 22, um, just before, uh, uh, tells us this. The Son of Man must, just, uh, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. As Craig's been unpacking for us over the past couple of Sundays, we've, thir- we've heard about Peter declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. We've heard Jesus for the first time predicting, uh, in, in this way at least, predicting his death. He predicts his suffering. He also predicts his resurrection. Uh, and this account of the transfiguration, it appears in three of the four Gospels, it appears in Matthew, it appears in Mark, and in Luke as well. I would encourage you just to read through those different accounts separately in your own time. I've got the references uh, if anyone wants to come and find me for them um, um, afterwards. Matthew and Mark's accounts are quite similar, both in terms of their style and the content as well. Luke gives us a little bit of extra information as well. Uh, And this um, account, the Transfiguration, is also referred back to in 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1 verses 16 uh, to 18 that I'll read for us um, I'll read for us shortly because that's really important um, as well. And it's important to know that when we're coming to this portion of, of Scripture, that we're viewing this um, account as both factual and historical. Some have argued whether this was a vision, this was just a hallucination, this was made up. One commentator interestingly said, This is the one portion of the Word of God I prefer to pass over to science. It's not straightforward. But there's specific detail in here. There's a, an unusual response from Peter, suggesting they put up tents. There's the way it's recorded with absolutely no suggestion whatsoever that this is anything other than factual. So as far as I'm concerned, all the evidence points to this being a historical, factual event that happened 2000, roughly 2,000 years ago. I mentioned it uh, being uh, referred to in 2 Peter there. The writer says this. We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses. We saw it with our own eyes. It's not secondhand. It's not been passed down from generation to generation. We saw it with our own eyes. So we approach this account with confidence, knowing that it happened not just a random incident in the life of Jesus, but it happened and we can learn from it, which is why it's recorded in the Bible for us. There's many things that we can learn uh, from this passage, I think. Uh, We're just going to pick up on three very quickly this morning. But just before I do that, let's just prelude it with this. Uh, It says, after uh, about eight days uh, after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. 
not the first time or the only time in scripture that Jesus does that, is it? Even in uh, what we've just read, to flick back to uh, verse, uh, verse 18, Jesus was praying with his disciples. We thought about the feeding of the 5,000, didn't we, a few weeks ago? Uh, verse 10, they withdrew by themselves, presumably, uh, to spend some time alone, alone and to pray. Jesus needed time alone with his heavenly father. Surely so do we. Now let's consider the three points we're going to briefly uh, have a look at this morning. Tracy, can we just have the first of those points up on the slide, please? Thank you. I think it's two slides along. Um, uh, great. So, first, yeah, first point. Jesus is glorious. Verse 29. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and the clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Lizzie and I recently celebrated, and I use that term loosely because she worked all day and I looked after the children, uh, eight years uh, of marriage. And marriage, I'm sure all of you who have been married will, uh, will um, uh, tell you that marriage has taught you uh, a lot. Marriage has taught me a lot. Uh, practically, it's taught me about the washing, okay? Before I was married, what do you do? Shove it all in the washing machine. In it goes, spins around, comes out clean-ish. Right, put, put it on. Uh, let's get on. Oh no, you have to sort the whites from the colours, from the darks, from the wool. From, I don't know what else you have to, uh, you have to, uh, you have to sort out. But you have to sort it all out apparently to avoid the colours running or something like that. Uh, having looked at the state of our the polo shirts that have come home from school in July and the new ones that we've just bought uh, to go uh, to, for the restart of school uh, in September, I think we needn't have bothered washing them at all. Such is the difference. We do, by the way. What does this account tell us? It tells us that Jesus' clothes became, in Luke's Gospel, as bright as a flash of lightning. Mark says they were dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Matthew tells us, as white as the light, his face shone like the sun. So we see a clear physical change to Jesus' appearance. So far throughout the gospel, we've seen Jesus' glory revealed in all sorts of different ways. We've seen it revealed through his deeds, what he's done. He's raised the dead. He's healed the sick. He's performed miracles. He's cast out demons. We've seen Jesus' uh, glory revealed through his teaching. We read uh, uh, a while back, didn't we, the Sermon on the Plain, one of the most uh, famous sermons ever written. Now we see Jesus' glory revealed in a more personal, more physical way as he turns whiter and white. There is no doubting there is something different about this man. And the glory of Jesus appears immediately after what? Well, if we turn back to what Craig was sharing with us over the past couple of Sundays, Jesus has predicted his suffering. Suffering is so often the prelude to glory. Back on Father's Day, some of you may remember, many not, that we uh, looked together on Romans 8. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. How's it go on? If indeed we share in his sufferings in order so that we ought, sorry, in order that we may also share in his glory. Jesus is glorious. Life is, a, is hard, isn't it? Life is difficult. Life is challenging at times. But it's preparing us for a weight of glory, an eternal weight of glory, beyond all comparison. 
It's almost impossible to describe that glory that we will one day experience when face to face we see the Lord Jesus. Ephesians calls it the unsearchable, boundless riches of Christ. Paul goes on uh, to describe it in Corinthians as glorious riches. We have this wonderful inheritance that cannot be measured by earthly scales. What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived, the thing God, the things God has prepared for those who love him. We cannot conceive what it will be like when one day we get to heaven and see the glory of our Lord Jesus. And that's what we see, and that's what the artists tried to, uh, tried to portray in some way in this, um, uh, in, the, in, these image, in those images that we, uh, that we saw. But this is just a preview. Rob and Jonathan show, showed us earlier. Uh, Rob said, so, I can't remember the exact phrase you used, Rob, but it's, it was something along the lines of this is just scratching the surface. This is a tiny, minuscule amount of the glory, the full glory of the Lord Jesus that we will one day see. It's simply a preview. And this is wonderful news for us. If we share in his sufferings, if we trust in the Lord Jesus, one day we will share in his glory. Often we sing that Stuart Townend hymn, don't we, in Christ alone, and the final verse, uh, we declare this, no guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. As Christians, we need not fear death as we're forgiven. We need not fear death as we have a glorious Savior. We need not fear death, because one day we will inherit that glory. Many of you may have heard this anecdote before. I remember Billy, our previous pastor, using it. I make no apology for using it uh, again because it uh, really touched me at the time. I'm sure some of you will, uh, will recall it. A woman was diagnosed with a terminal illness and had been given three months to live. As she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor and asked him to come to her house to discuss some of her final wishes. She told him the song she wanted at the funeral service, what scripture verses she would like read, and what outfit she wanted to be buried in. She also requested to be buried with her favorite Bible. As the pastor prepared to leave, the woman suddenly remembered something else. There's one more thing, she said excitedly. What's that? Said the pastor. This is important. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor stood looking at the woman, not knowing what to say. The woman explained, in all my years of attending church socials and dinners, when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would leave o lean over and say, keep your fork. It was my favorite part of the meal because I knew something better was coming. Velvety chocolate cake, a, a di delicious deep dish apple pie. So when people see me in that casket, fork in my right hand. I'll say, what's the fork for? The best is yet to come. Jesus is glorious. Second point, thanks Tracy. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and prophets. Jesus is the Messiah. Verses 30 to 33, uh, skip down in your Bibles. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, and when they became fully awake, they saw his, glo the, his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, uh, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
he did not know what he was saying. Why Moses and Elijah? Well, that's uh, something we could spend a long time uh, discussing. We clearly haven't got time to discuss all the intricacies uh, of that this morning. The general consensus seems to be Moses uh, was to show uh, that Jesus fulfilled the law, and Elijah, he fulfilled the prophets. Others argue that Moses perhaps represented the prophet, and Elijah, uh, the end times, because of um, the verses at the end of Malachi. We don't, have to, we don't have time, unfortunately, to delve into that too much this morning. The, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly, oh, Moses was there because of this reason, and Elijah was there because he was representing the prophets. The Bible doesn't tell us. It's what scholars um, um, assume. But there's interesting points about Moses and Elijah and what we can learn from their lives throughout uh, the Old Testament. Each had a vision of the glory of God on a mountain. Moses, uh, we all know that. Uh, story you know, uh, on Mount Sinai, uh, Exodus 24, Elijah on Horeb in 1 Kings uh, verse nine, um, chapter 19. Each of them left no known grave. Deuteronomy 34 talks about when Moses died. Elijah, it says, went up to a heaven in a whirlwind rather than physically dying. The last three verses of the Old Testament in Malachi, Malachi 4, 4, 5, uh, and 6, both mention Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah, we can learn so much from their lives, can't we? And we can do all sorts of studies about that. But they were not, and they are not, anything when compared to Christ. This is how one commentator puts it. Moses and Elijah were the king's servants, but Jesus was the king's son. Moses and Elijah were planets, but Jesus is the son. They were witnesses that he is the truth. It was important for the twelve to understand both the difference in kinds and also the infinite superiority of Jesus to these two great prophets. They could hardly be compared with Jesus or even spoken of in the same breath. Matthew 5 tells us this, uh, Jesus speaking, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus uh, is the fulfillment of so many um, uh, Old Testament prophecies, um, messianic prophecies, prophecies about the, the Messiah. Uh, scholars disagree because of the way in which they're counted, exactly how many there are. Uh, some say 300-ish, could go up to 450 if you include ones that are repeated or, uh, or recorded in slightly different ways. The Messiah would be resurrected. The Messiah would bring in a new covenant. The Messiah would be forsaken and pierced, but vindicated. The Messiah would be reject the rejected cornerstone. Uh, the, the Messiah would be born a virgin. The Messiah would be come according to a timetable. The Messiah would bear our sins and suffer in our place. The Messiah would not remain dead for his seed, prolong his days and be exalted. Preceded by the prophet Elijah, the Messiah would be, like a, would be a prophet like Moses. The Messiah would be pierced. The Messiah would come riding on a donkey. The Messiah would be called God's son. I could go on and on. I've got 44 here. I'm not going to read them uh, all out for you this morning. The chances, so I'm told, someone else has worked it out for me, of all of these prophecies uh, being recorded in one man, uh, one over 84 with 100 zeros at the end. Unlikely, as we read through those descriptions, those messianic promise, uh, prophecies throughout the Old Testament, who do they all point to? It's obvious, isn't it? Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. 
Moses and uh, Elijah were, talk, were speaking with Jesus. They were talking about his departure or, or what's called or his exodus. Um, and this refers to Jesus' death in Jerusalem. It's funny, isn't it, to be transfixed on death? But, but by Jesus' death, we are freed and forgiven. We don't usually think of death as an accomplishment. Jesus accomplished victory through his death. He accomplished salvation in his death. Moses, we know, led a great exodus. Jesus leads a far greater exodus, away from sin, away from death. Jesus came to fulfill the law and prophets. It's so evident, isn't it, from reading these prophecies that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah that the Jewish people were waiting for. This is how Tom Wright puts it. Jesus has, metaphorically speaking, led the disciples up the high mountain of a new view, uh, new view of God's kingdom. In extraordinary actions and puzzling but profound words, he has unveiled for them what God is up to. Those outside look and look, but never see. The disciples are having their eyes opened so that they can see for the first time the inner reality of God's kingdom and the central truth that, even though he doesn't look like what they might have expected, Jesus really is the Messiah. We have the third point, please, Tracy. Thank you. Finally, Jesus is God's son. In verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. We're referring back to, to verse 33. Uh, Peter says, Master, it's good for us uh, to be here. Let us put up three shelters for you. He says that uh, as Moses and Elijah, uh, it says as the men were leaving Jesus. Peter's wanting to prolong this experience. He wants to experience it more and more. Master, it's good for us to be here. And then this cloud appears. Clouds appear throughout the Old Testament in the Bible as well uh, and in the New Testament. Uh, the uh, cloud protected and guided the Israelites in the wilderness. When Moses went up the mountain uh, in Exodus 24, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. When Jesus ascends to heaven in Acts 1, a cloud hid him from their sight. When Jesus one day returns, Revelation tells us he is coming with the clouds. Clouds are a symbol of God's glory, and that is why there is a cloud here. They're veiling the unbelievers from the full glory of God. And from this cloud comes a voice. This is my son, it says, whom I have chosen. Matthew and, and, uh, and Mark uh, talk, uh, talk about it, uh, um, the son who, who he loves. Listen to him. Familiar? Luke 3, Jesus' baptism. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What an echo there is here. We think, look back to Jesus' baptism and we can see almost identical words uh, um, pointing to, uh, uh, sorry, at Jesus' transfiguration pointing to the wonderful glory of Jesus. And God the Father tells us Jesus is his son. If we need any more evidence that Jesus Christ is no ordinary man, here we have it. He's glorious. He's the Messiah. He's God's son. And the final instruction, as I hopefully reminded some of the children earlier, 
It's what John, John Stott calls the supreme lesson of this passage, that we should listen to Jesus. God who tells us to listen to Jesus' words, so surely that's what we should do. We all know the story, don't we, of the wise and foolish builders. We could probably all sing the song about the wise man building the house on the rock. What's the point of that story? Well, the point of that story is at the start of it. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, we should hear the words that Jesus speaks and we should put them into practice in our lives. In my preparation this week, as we come to a, a close, Matt, if you and the band want to, to rejoin us, that would, be, that would be great. I came across these words from a song, which I think we've got on a slide, um, uh, Tracy. I apologize, it's slightly bl blurry. Name of all majesty, fathomless mystery, king of the ages by angels adored, power and authority, splendor and dignity, bow to his mastery, Jesus is Lord. Well, if, if Jesus is glorious, as we've read about, if he's the Messiah, if he's truly God's son, the chosen one, surely we should be living our lives for him. Surely we should be sharing this wonderful good news with those that we know. And surely we should be worshipping him as we're going to do now.